I have many people who've been like, I haven't mean to call you for like five years. I'm like, well, it took you so long. Eh, I figured it out myself. You know, again, that self-reliance that's kind of taught by default on some level. If you pray enough, this will go away. Welcome everyone to Reclamation Podcast, a Be Emboldened initiative. If you are new to us, I am Naomi. I'm the founder and executive director of BE, and we exist for those impacted by religious trauma. We are committed to providing support for the prevention of victimization and re-victimization, creating a safe space to ask your questions, to heal, and to rebuild. You can learn more about the resources we offer and our support services by visiting beembolden.com. We are grateful to have some of our favorite small businesses as sponsors for Reclamation Podcast, and this episode is sponsored by Trendy Bubs. With all their items handmade here in the USA, Trendy Bubs believes you don't have to sacrifice comfort for fashion when it comes to dressing your little ones. When you shop with them, Be Emboldened receives 10% of your order total as a donation, and you, the shopper, also get a 10% discount, which is great. So just enter the code LIVEFREE at checkout for all of that to be activated. For today's conversation, I am over the moon to welcome Tracy Brown to talk about a topic I've been wanting to talk about for a really long time. Like it's been on my wish list for almost two and a half years since I was very initially getting Be Emboldened off the ground. And we're going to talk about the relationship between trauma and food. Tracy is a somatic nutrition therapist, registered licensed dietitian, and a tuned eating coach in private practice, providing in-person phone and online counseling since 2006. And this was totally by accident on my end, Tracy, but I realized today that it is National Eating Disorder Week. I didn't know if you knew that or not. I, I, I thought it was a coincidence, but um, this is a good week for this podcast, as well as if people are looking for more information, all of my, my little bubble of people is like, you know, full blast, you know, megaphones of the reality of um, the world we live in and that it is sometimes hard to have a body. And then when you are disembodied, it's really hard to know how you, how to take care of yourself and feed yourself. So I am assuming that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, since you just brought that up, I wasn't necessarily going to launch here. You know, this wasn't necessarily my yeah. plan, but I had pulled something that I wrote about 12 years ago mm-hmm. while I was struggling with a trauma-induced eating disorder. And I think I mentioned to you when we initially connected that I, having the master's in social work and having access to some continuing education courses and things, I did some self-treatment because I was really struggling with finding the proper supports I needed for my context. And part of what I did was answer a series of questions and I wrote down and had emailed myself the answer to those questions. I still have it. Mm-hmm. And so in preparation for this conversation, I was like, you know, I'm going to go back and read that. And if you don't mind, I'd love to read two short paragraphs to just sort of anchor where we're heading today. Um, because I think some of our questions are going to connect to what I'm going to share. That sounds really great. Thanks for being willing to share that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It it certainly is vulnerable to do so, but it's also, it's very reflective. And I'm like, my goodness, this still, it makes sense to me. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of hearing your thoughts and sharing this for our audience of people who likely will also connect with at least aspects of what I'm about to, we're about to talk about. So 
This is um, direct quote. I did cut some parts out just for length, but um, didn't pull out anything because of privacy. I just I want everyone to be able to hear where I was at at the time. Now, I would binge and purge specifically, so that's what I'm going to be talking about here. I wrote, after I binge, I feel too full, uncomfortably full. I feel unattractive, bloated, and gross. I feel like no one would want me like this. I have no self-control. I feel and look fat. I feel responsible for making myself feel this way. I feel responsible. In these moments, I am responsible for feeling badly, for feeling abandoned, unloved, and alone. I did it. No one did it to me. I feel responsible for my feelings. In this moment, it makes sense to me that I am alone. It's understandable to me. After I purge, my stomach feels more comfortable. My throat hurts, but I don't like that. I don't like the pain. Although I am ashamed of my behavior, when I purge, I feel like I'm taking care of myself. I am returning myself to my previous state, my homeostasis prior to the binge. I am bringing myself back to my body, restoring my body and piecing myself back together. Aside from my knowledge of what I have done, I generally feel the same inside as before the binge happened, before the trauma happened. Yeah, I feel like I just read something almost written by someone else being in a very different place now. But goodness, wow, I can remember that. And I hear aspects of it in so many conversations I have today. I'm only speechless this moment because you know, I hear these things every day, every week. And the fact that it's so, I hear from people all over the world lets me know the the enemy's tentacles in it and the influence of that early, those early rejections. Part of trauma is when there is a, um, a lack of compassionate witnessing Mm -hmm. our little baby, adolescent, young adult brains don't know anything else to do, but it's my fault. That's a hallmark of trauma. It's my fault. Right. I did it to myself. I'm, I'm responsible because Mm -hmm. it's so much more, it feels more practical, not practical, but it feels more real mm-hmm. that it's easier to hurt yourself than to like, it's not tenable. Usually what was done to you, whether it was physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, sexual, whatever happened is those things don't make sense. Mm-hmm. You can't do anything bad enough to anybody for those things to happen to you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, well, yeah, that, that talk that will kind of jump leap into, I know the function of disorder eating eating disorders, mm-hmm. current dieting, all that. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, but that's a really good jumping off place. All the little things. I, I wish I could hold your your younger self right now. I'm like, oh, let's look at every one of those things because those are actually lies. But that's the best you got at this moment for how right. bad you're in pain. Yeah, yeah. And what I see in it when I reflect back is someone who was trying to make sense of their world, trying to make sense of all that didn't sense and that should not have been and trying to have some sort of responsibility for it and some sort of control over it yeah that's right and that's another hallmark of trauma is that um you're trapped there's nothing you can do (laughs) when you feel like in your situation there's nothing i can do you look for a relief valve that's what it's for yeah how would you describe the relationship between trauma and food 
All right. So if we think about just, a, I mean, I know you probably speak a lot name about trauma, but um, trauma is not just the things I think most people think about, like um, physical or sexual abuse or war or a car accident. Mm-hmm. Those are things that people understand. But when we un- really understand how we are wired first to be in connection with God and then in connection with each other, then we're like, oh, it makes sense that we are wired to connect with each other and nothing really can break that. We, we want other to be around other safe, nurturing. You hear me, you see me, you get me humans. Mm-hmm. And I would say with, with food, food is one of our first forms of nourishment and connection. And so when you start to have people around you, they're supposed to take care of you, have your back, treat you in a certain way that God has ordered and they don't, that creates a rupture. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that gets nurturance and care and nourishment get over coupled with the bad stuff that happens to us. So instead of like they're messed up, that was bad. That's their rejection projecting on me. It's I'm too much. I need too much. Care is bad. I don't deserve it. And you can see how that leaps to food pretty easily. And especially if you are in your early years um, exposed to a lot of performative love via food and body. So there's many tentacles that can get food going from ordered to disordered. Food is supposed to be easy. You know, we're, we're, we're designed with these body systems to just, to just run, to eat from hunger and fullness, eat what's best in your proximity, use a little bit of nutrition education, common sense, eat the food, move on. That's, that's how we raise our babies and toddlers into young adults. But that gets sabotaged, interrupted by the environment. So if you have your environment, which is supposed to be some level of nurturance and care and safety and provision, and those sources of care also become your threat, telling you that you, oh, you shouldn't really need to eat that. You just, you were, how can you be hungry? You just ate. Or no, now that you're growing up, you better watch out. Or those, or could be more, way more abusive, of course, you know, name calling and, um, being treated badly or differently based on your body size. Um, I mean, I could the list goes on and on and on how this gets overcoupled with food and how eating disorders develop. But there is just this trauma bonding with food and body being the threat. Mm. Instead of the people being the threat, the institution being the threat, the system or the situation, it, it's easier to like inside myself, it feels like when I eat or I don't eat, but there's a threat mm-hmm. because those get overcoupled oftentimes with the situations that hurt you. Mm-hmm. And then our culture says, get thin at whatever, whatever means you can. No problem. You'll hear that from our culture. You're, you might hear that in your church. I can't tell you the thousands of stories I've heard from people. Yeah, we had small group and the first 10 minutes we're like comparing diet notes. Mm-hmm. Can't get away. Mm-hmm. So it's just very complex, but you can definitely, you can very very much look back and way before you had an eating disorder. And that's my story. I had a whole lot of (laughs) tormenting rejector. I call them my rejection and fear minions 
chasing me in my head all the time, way before I ever, I personally ever had an eating disorder. It mm-hmm. was just inevitable, you know, with my circumstances, family history, all the things, the culture. Um, I look back and like, well, of course I did. I'm surprised I didn't have one earlier. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Right. That makes sense. It's very fair. It's fair for it to happen. Yeah. And I think there can be so much self-condemnation when someone is having a struggle of this nature. It just seems to compound. It's like, no, this is, this is fair that you would be in this place. It makes sense. And I really appreciate your application here of trauma bonding. I haven't used it. I haven't heard it used in relation to food and absolutely trauma bonding is a very real kind of relationship. Usually it would be used in relation to people. Yeah. Well, and I thought that was a good word only because overcoupling is like, what is that? I have to define that. But yeah. it's one thing happened with another. They don't really go together, mm-hmm. but because they happen in proximity, that's a better language. They happen so close together mm-hmm. and either more harm was done because of the food to you. Not the food hurt you, but the circumstances with the food or I got some relief. I got something different. Sometimes mm-hmm. better. It's just different and there's a relief from the misery that that's that's what will save me the eating the not eating the purging the exercising that that'll get it Mm. my body changing then I could be okay right and this idea that that's there for you that's right yeah that's right so mm, that's powerful thank you so much what other what eating disorders or maybe other as in like maybe wouldn't meet all the criteria just uh, sort of out of, out of the, what it should be, what it's intended to be, you know, how you were talking about what a relationship with food would look like as we raise our kids when it's, it's healthy and it's safe for someone. And, but what eating disorders can result from a trauma background or like I said, maybe not an eating disorder, maybe just a difficult relationship. I love you put that word, a difficult relationship. Eating should be peaceful. Mm-hmm. that you know there's not a and i know people get really hung up because of their maybe religious backgrounds but um there there's no perfect diet there's no perfect way of eating and we all if we are in our listening have a way that works for us unfortunately our culture maybe the church culture you know really uses those certain scriptures and i'm going to repeat them here today of how you should take care of the body you're given and ideally, we are offered a, and there's a really beautiful definition by Ellen Satter, um, Ellen with a Y, and people can go look at that later. Mm-hmm. But her definition of normal eating is flexible. Sometimes we eat three meals a day. Sometimes it's three meals and three snacks. So sometimes we snack along the day. Sometimes we eat um, cookies warm out of the oven because it just tastes good. And sometimes we um you know, put a little bit more care into our nutrition, but it's not the end all be all of our day. And it, this goes on and on and on. I'm paraphrasing her, her long paragraph, but like I'm saying, it's flexible and you, it's not an idol. I added that part. It's not an idol. Like your value and worth doesn't depend on how many vegetables you got in that day, how many miles you ran, um, how long you could abstain from eating that day um, in the hope that you might somehow elongate your days mm-hmm. that turns into an idol and compulsion what happens is that when we start to think that i'll be a better version of myself um 
that I have to eat in a certain way and, and, and fear and guilt and shame and idolatry start to take place in your life. Now, you know, you have some disordered eating. If there's covetousness or jealousy or envy or keeping you up at night, you know that it, your, your healthy eating is turned in and into something else. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about eating disorders, there's the DSM ones, you know, that we probably all have heard of. But the majority of people who struggle are people in average to lower weight bodies and probably have, they have all the, the, the symptoms. It's just a little more subclinical, meaning like, okay, well, you, you purge, but you do it once a month versus once a day. Mm-hmm. You binge or you kind of graze eat all night, but it wouldn't look the same as somebody who can't wait to leave work to go and eat all the food mm-hmm. and they can't stop. You know, there's some, there, the, the, the intensity and their, and the um, frequency is a little less, mm-hmm. but it's still kind of cyclic and it really is just going to depend basically on your resilience and capacity and regulation throughout your day and your week and your month and why you're even doing anything. Mm-hmm. Normally you're sometimes overeat, but they know what they're doing is intentional and they don't feel bad about it. Sometimes normal eaters, Oh, I didn't plan. Oh, I waited too long um, to eat lunch. and I got too hungry. And I, then I got really stuffed again. People that's normal stuff. People do mm-hmm. that. But when every day is a battle, what do I eat? When do I eat? Do I eat right? What do people think about me? It's disordered, whether you get a diagnosis or not. Chronic dieting. If diets worked, you don't only need one. Mm-hmm. The body is gaining that weight back definitely for a reason. Not because you did something wrong. That's the design. Our, our cells don't want to die. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, it's purposeful. It's very purposeful. You can lose weight. You'll gain it back. Maybe plus some because your body is like... Well, that was a rough famine. Okay. Let's not do that again. And the moment, it's almost like your body can smell it in the air. It's, oh, it's coming. You know, our bodies and brains are connected. 80% of our, our nerves go up to our brain, not down. Mm-hmm. So our bodies are already, already giving your brain information all the time. And if you have some body memory and some, obviously, brain memory mm-hmm. of the last 10 diets you went on and how that felt. Mm-hmm. Your brain tells your body, everything's on alert. Here we go. Yeah. How do you see this connecting with trauma, with a trauma experience? Well, yeah, I guess if we go back to like, here's the order of things of hunger, you know, you know eating from hunger and fullness, eating a variety of food helps our physical, mental, emotional, spiritual well-being. We're, we're hedging our bets here. Mm-hmm. But if you're in a situation where it does seem like in your your church family, your family, family, your environment, high school, wherever you are. And those places have been sources of rejection for you. Unless you're feeling like your relationship with God is pretty secure and close and you lead on him for all things, even in the midst of rejection, you know, we're, we're likely to want to take it up. We want to be, have relief. We don't want to feel so bad. It feels really bad to feel like I am being othered and I don't belong here because I don't have the right body, let's say. So let's say you are you were a kid and, you know, well-meaning people to put you on a diet when you're 10 years old. The messaging there, something's wrong with me. I'm not good enough. My cousin, my sister, well, whomever is not doing this, the kids very much understand agenda. 
They're not stupid. So if you're 10 and you're going on Weight Watchers as your way of going into another transition, which is probably puberty, now you've got two really, really hard things going on at one time. I'm different than my peers. Mm -hmm. And clearly, um, this is a way I can please my caregivers. And I have to do this because there's something, now I know something's wrong with me that just starts to kind of have layer after layer of rejection. And the only way you know how to like get out of that rejection is to get a smaller body. And that becomes now your new neurobiology becomes now your new, even belief system mm-hmm. that I'm more love. You know, it's basically it's performative love, which is the opposite of God, of course. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that kind of trauma is developmental trauma. It's relational trauma. Oh, I'm not, condi- I'm not, um, unconditionally loved here. I've got to earn it. And that's the, if you have those younger experiences, how do you think you're going to view God? Mm-hmm. I've got to earn it too. I've got to earn love. It doesn't just, it's just not here because I exist. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's just one example, by the way, I mean, we can do some other trauma examples. I'd like to, so people mm-hmm. who have different experiences, but really, eating disorders, any kind of, any kind of behavior, any kind of thought pattern, we call them defensive strategies mm-hmm. that like lit up on fire, unsafe feeling inside rage, grief, mm-hmm. um, terror, panic. When you're calculating calories. You kind of forget about that for a few minutes and then you do it again and again and again. And before you know it, now you have a neurobiology and now you have some lies in your head all day long saying that, well, if I don't know the calories, I can't feel safe. Mm-hmm. and it's a it's a strategy um same thing with binging and purging like you so eloquently wrote it's it feels like you're feeling better mm-hmm. when really there's no differentiation at that age or or we have the, always have the resources to is it true that you feel more peaceful and content and joyful and happy or you just feel less bad right now mm-hmm. and when i ask people that question they can answer it because they're it's not really happiness. It's just right. It's some relief from the pain. Mm-hmm. No, matter, no matter what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because I can see two scenarios. One being that food can become that friend, sort of that trauma bonding, like you said, that mm-hmm. safe place. Mm-hmm. And I think even within that, though, so I'm kind of thinking this through. So I'm going to back up and just give a personal sure. example. When I was like, I'm trying to think back to my childhood photos because that's where I can see the, the transition. I probably was about seven mm-hmm. when my parents got a call from the school and my mom worked for the school and we were in a you know covert under the radar cult. So it's like you don't want negative attention because of her job and because of her lifestyle um, outside of the school. And so they got a phone call. They were concerned about me being neglected in relation to food because I was so small. Mm-hmm. I was just a very thin girl. And so you could. Sounds like you had some failure to thrive. Like I was just, I was small. And so, and I don't recall not eating if I wanted to eat or, you know, like we, the provision was there. We weren't actually, okay. there wasn't food neglect. There's water neglect, um, but there wasn't food neglect. Um, and so my parents kind of over responded and they're like, well, we don't want that negative attention. And so then I was forced to eat more than I could actually comfortably eat. 
They switched me to whole milk. They switched me to like full fat, everything, which doesn't necessarily have to be bad. It was just, they made all these changes from what had just been our normal. And we always had meat. We always had vegetables. My mom cooked a lot. We had our fruits. We had our, we had our start. We had our carbohydrates. We had, so I didn't grow up in a household where we had bad foods, quote unquote. I know it's not necessarily, but you know, foods that would be typically cause um, where I'd be, uh, you know, I have diabetes on both sides of my family. It wasn't like tons of sugar around her, but we still did get treats, you know? So when I look back, I'm like, it was a very like well-balanced environment with food, which it wasn't a well-balanced environment for pretty much anything else. So I'm like, oh, you know, that sure. was good. That was good. But then that switch happened and suddenly I didn't have freedom with food anymore. It then became something that was right or wrong and could also have bigger consequences of getting negative attention or getting positive attention. So that freedom was taken. So I just thought I'd bring that in where I'm like, that's, it's interesting the different ways where this can come into play. Oh, it could be anything. I've seen this many times where there is, I mean, again, this isn't church abuse or trauma, but, um, you know, a medical issue in the family, it doesn't even have to be happened to you, but someone, you know, mom, dad, someone really close and yeah, radically overnight, your food changes Mm -hmm. and you don't have any say. Mm -hmm. And especially if there's forcing upon you and you didn't, you didn't feel bad before everything was fine. Mm -hmm. And then now all of a sudden the way you were eating is wrong and bad. Mm -hmm. And now you're hypervigilant about what you're eating because that's the environment you're in. Mm -hmm. You're in a hypervigilant environment to, um, again, sometimes it's well-meaning, and sometimes it's like your case where it's like, no, it's very narcissistic, basically. Yeah. And so much control because of course, then I gained, gained quite a bit of weight and then, you know, I was too big. So it's like, oh my goodness, like where, where do y'all want me to land here? And so I remember yeah. that at a very young age of like, you're trying to hit this seemingly okay. target. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, isn't it interesting? So when we see what the actual issue is, it's not about food. It's just it's the tool or the container. So our bodies are this container, the foods and an object that we use to, um, for your parents, get out of their threat response. We don't want this heat on our family. Right. And poor Naomi, you know, she's the IP identified patient mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's all about fixing her. So we're okay. Yeah. Same thing with other, you know, you go the different directions. You have a family that, oh, it makes us look bad to have a kid that looks like this. Mm-hmm. So we got to fix that. It's about us, not about this kid. Yeah. And so there, there's your double bind. What do you want? I was here. I'm here. None of it's never enough. And so that was the message. Right. I'm not yeah. enough. Never enough. No matter right. what I do. Yeah. So, and and Tracy connecting it with spiritual abuse specifically, and in my scenario, cult abuse. Yeah. There's a lot of safety riding on me performing. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um and when no one and, and that's where it continues to kind of, kind of get grounded deeper and deeper is that mm-hmm. if if everybody you are around is just like this, you mm-hmm. think it's normal. So if everybody around you diets, if everybody around you has these standards, then you're the wrong one. Again, you're the bad wrong one. That's hardly that's that's excruciating. Yeah. And and it, we up the ante. to numbness, you know, more binging, more purging, more running, more counting, more whatever, you know, and 
because this is happening to the body, the body container. It's just not long-term tenable. Mm -hmm. What do you see as some of the maybe most common misconceptions that people come to you with when it's Mm -hmm. trauma-related? Well, I want to I really want to frame this for the whole, anybody listening to this who has been made to believe they have a weight problem, mm-hmm. but especially with trauma, um, you know, th- people think that we have these physical bodies and, and that you can get away with doing anything you want to them. It's not true. You know, they, 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 our bodies have a way of functioning that's equilibrium and ideal and has a way, well, it can, it can just survive, but God didn't put us here just to like, barely get by mm-hmm. in terms of even how we take care of our bodies. And so we're going to have to surrender somewhat of our will to think that in egoism, really, that you can be whatever weight you want. It's absolutely not true. Just like I can't be a different skin color. I can't naturally have a different hair color or height. You know, extreme measures have to be taken, which then puts your focus somewhere, you know, somewhere else mm-hmm. and not maybe where, you know, your, your values really lie. Um, but the biggest, really the biggest misconception is that you can tell somebody's health by looking at them. Majority mm-hmm. of my client, you know, most people aren't going to naturally be in very small bodies, but everybody mm-hmm. thinks they can get one if they just have enough willpower. So the majority of people who have disordered eating, eating disorders, who are chronic dieters, do not have small bodies. You know, and there's so much damage being done in churches, you know, um, around this idea. I mean, it's almost like every year I have a lot of clients will come and go, oh, well, we did the annual eat healthy sermon, you know, at church. And uh, it was the typical, you know, exercise more, eat less. And I'm like, oh, my. Yeah, it's it's pretty typical. And um and, and, or I think some of the things that my clients see a lot too, that kind of like compound some of the trauma they've already had is I understand that most places, unless you're a specialist, can't be a specialist in this area, you know, trauma, eating disorders. Um, and that's okay. But the lack of um, resources for people who are struggling mm-hmm. and they don't even have a place to name it maybe in their either, either it's a safe um, church community or out or in their home or outside of that. So again, the more it is seen as not, not okay to talk about or ask about or seek support about, the more you think, well, you know, again, this is my fault. It's not mm-hmm. that big a deal. Um, I have many people who've been like, I haven't meaning to call you for like five years. I'm like, well, it took you so long. Eh, I figured it out myself. You know, again, that self-reliance that's kind of taught by default on some level. If you pray enough, this will go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you brought that up about churches, it makes me think of the reference to our bodies as temples. And I would be shocked if that wasn't the, you know, focus. Oh, it's always, it's always that. I don't even, it's almost like, I don't, can't even use that scripture anymore. It's yeah. like so tainted. <laughs> Absolutely. And for us to recognize, okay, maybe we don't know really what that means though, in all of these different areas. That's right. So what does it mean? Um, you know, what does it mean as far as how do I treat my body as a temple? When relation to food, what does that look like? And for those of us where it's not our area of expertise, like it's not mine, which is why I'm bringing you in. I'm not talking yeah. about this by myself. 
we have other people like yourself whom we can reach out to and say, I don't really, I don't know what it, how that translates. I don't know what that equates to, yeah. especially depending on different people and their needs. And yeah, then they have absolutely. Have diagnoses and they, I mean, oh my goodness, you know, genetic things that like, what is this, what is this equal to? And like you said, we can't just look at someone and know if they're treating their body like a temple in relation to food or not. We can't just assess that by looking at someone. That's right. And that's usually what happens. Um, what does that mean? It's honor mm -hmm. and respect. Honor and respect. That's mm -hmm. that's what I think it means with food and movement. And mm -hmm. and I love the, uh, you know, I always look at where Paul is talking when he's in the Bible talking about different things. And I know what, I, again, I'm going to misquote this. I'm sorry, but I can't remember if he was in Corinth or he was in that like mm -hmm. Grecian kind of area. I don't know which book it was in mm -hmm. anymore, but uh you know, I know because of that area, historically, their gig was intellectualism mm -hmm. and athletics. Mm -hmm. They loved it. You know, that's that's what they spent most of their time doing when they weren't being off the chain, something else, <laughs> basically. But um, he's like, he was speaking to those those Christians there. And it's like, you know, physical, I'm paraphrasing. So mm -hmm. activity is of some value, but our spiritual fitness yeah. is the most important thing. So nobody says that like, exercise isn't great. Some people kind of take what I'm saying, like, what do you mean? I can eat what I want. And, um, it doesn't matter what I weigh. We're not saying that it's we, our bodies, um, have a design, you know, everything's in his in, in, in image, but it has a design and it's not going to be the same as somebody else. Mm -hmm. If you and I ate the same thing, we would still look different no matter what, because we're little, we're different enough. And that's what God wants. And so it's not saying that like movement isn't important or that um, I, we call it eating compensate, eating a variety of food, eating enough, take, taking good care with in general, but taking good care also means having fun and eating play foods and not getting hung up and um, trying to control anything. Mm. Can't control your body size. You can try, um, but it ends up taking control of you mm. because mm -hmm. when that starts to become your idol, and has a lot of emotional charge to it, then you start projecting on other people. So it damages your relationships. You don't think it is, but it does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How prevalent do you think these trauma-related disorder eating or eating disorders, how prevalent do you think it is? <laughs> well, the research, the research in the last five years, I looked up some stuff. Um, you know, I have a course that talks about these things, but it's a little, little older. So I was looking up some things and, they're finally saying like, well, probably over the course of all people have diagnosed eating disorder, which is just the people who actually go come and see care, probably 50%, like PTSD mm -hmm. for real, like identifiable stuff. But everybody I work with for the last, I mean, I'm in year 17 now. And I put myself in that category too of, um, oh, my parents, like they provided, you know, like food, shelter, you know, they were involved in my stuff, but half of my family was nitpickers, super judgmental. Mm -hmm. The other half of my family, they don't do emotion. Mm -hmm. That was very damaging to my sense of like, how do I do life? Who do I reach for? Who is safe to talk to about what? And eventually I just became very self-reliant. Everything's about, I'm in control of everything. And that's the, that is everybody some level of rupture and safety 
in relationships. And that ends up, and if that, especially if that happens um, in a religious sense, it's like the people you should be like, everybody around you is a seeking, seeking agape love. Mm-hmm. They're just ascending as culture. Mm-hmm. So that becomes unsafe. That's everybody I work with. You got attached to something. Either you attach to like safety or you attach to something, diet culture. At least it seems like it makes sense. If I do X, I get Y. If I lose weight, I get, yay, you're so great. And I'm like, what'd you do? Cure cancer? No, I just lost 10 pounds. I'm like, really? You didn't preach the gospel that you didn't do anything. You lost 10 pounds. Our culture champions that of you're going to be happy then. Your problems are going to be fixed. You're going to have, you're going to have those relationships and the depth of the relationships that you want. And let's pause and think for a second how powerful that is for someone who's experienced religious abuse because they've lost relationships and then they're trying to connect and, but they're older in life and it's harder to do. We're not just thrown into these places like school anymore where we're like, okay, we'll work it out with people. And so we're trying to connect and then we're trying to get depth and that just takes time and it takes vulnerability and people aren't feeling safe for vulnerability because they're working on, they're kind of investigating. How do I trust again? How do I trust my own discernment of a person? And if it's a healthy relationship, how do I trust them? I don't know who God is, so I'm not feeling super safe with him today and it gets really messy really fast and so absolutely we look at our culture and all the messaging that comes through there and we connect it with relationship with food it's like yeah it makes sense that this happens and that it becomes a very very messy relationship yeah i think you said something though that is a doorway in for some people is that if you've got religious trauma and just people aren't safe god's not safe um, I, I don't want to do about this body container that I have to put up with too, that not only I don't meet the cultural ideal, but inside is on fire. And I don't even know, mm-hmm. I can't differentiate those feelings and sensations right now. And when I go to eat, they get worse. You can see how easy it would be to like, this is what makes me feel better. And then connect with those kind of people. Bad news is that if you connect with people doing the same thing you're doing, they got trauma too. Mm-hmm. And it, but but it feels so familiar. And with trauma, yeah. we do kind of uh, back until we have more healing, get drawn to people who have similar stuff. And for a while that works. But when people start growing, it's going to fall apart. You know, so what I'm wondering is that if we work on a relationship with food, really get some inner trust with, oh, what's on my plate? And can I tell inside what I like and what I don't like? And how do I know that? And can I do that 10,000 more times? And then like, oh, this body isn't so bad. It it actually gives me signals and I can like depend on that. That's a really good starting block to like, if I can do discernment here, maybe I can do discernment out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It can be a very good starting point and a less, hopefully a less threatening one, you know? Takes time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, in in your work specifically with your clients, how often are you seeing this connection with religious trauma specifically? So I would say when people come overtly to me, um, because I've shared my story in other podcasts too, we're like, whoa, um, yeah, I got some of that. So I come from a background of actually some more actually like Luciferian kind of stuff and then just kind of false, typical uh, teaching kind of stuff from oh, another side of my family. Um, 
uh, sometimes people come overtly from that. This is overtly what was part of my eating disorder. But most of the time, once we get in there, a couple sessions, a couple weeks, a couple months, people start to reveal um, just some dogma they may have gotten um, with, from food through their church. And there was other problematic stuff too, but they didn't connect the two. It was just part of um, the control, mm-hmm. how they ate, how they looked, um, having to hide like their hunger and then, you know, secretly eat and then get punished for not like they're not changing, not conforming, not complying. Um, the percentages, I don't really know the answer to that. I think to be honest, if I think about some clients from different backgrounds right now, I mean, it is a factor. It's just, it's just, I'll just say it's one of the factors. It's not the only factor, but it's one of them. Um, most people would frame that more individualistically. Here's the people who hurt me specifically mm-hmm. around food and body. Um, what kind of abuses? But when they start to over time, when they start to scope out a little bit, it's like, oh, there was a system we are all a part of. Mm-hmm. Again, of course, this happened. This was just one part of it. Um, I do think there's a lot more people who probably come to me that just don't remember, mm-hmm. to be honest. And I think broadly with disordered eating, eating disorders. Um, it's probably a factor in a lot of people's mm-hmm. stories, even if it wasn't them, but generationally, you know, maybe by the time they were born, their family was out of some stuff, but the legacy continues in behaviors and belief systems. So mm-hmm. I, I'm going to put it up there with what the secular, you know, um, I would say this, the secular research is, it's probably half, a third to half, probably more. I just don't have numbers for you. but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have a feeling too, that it's probably pretty common that it's a component, yeah. not necessarily the be all end all, but that it's a, mm-hmm. it is a factor, like you said. And again, it's, we have to put food in our mouths. We have to eat. Mm-hmm. And if you're already in fight, flight, freezer, please all the time, and you don't even know it because it's so normal and you go to eat. And if you're especially in this activated state, eating, you're going to have distress. Mm-hmm. problems chewing swallowing digesting um just not feeling good and it's of course our knee-jerk because this is what our culture has programmed us to think that um every time you feel bad it's the food's fault <laughs> mm-hmm. people don't understand the physiology of stress and trauma so they're always trying to control something outside of them versus like well what's happening before that meal inside no wonder you're not digesting. Well, that's not your body's job right now. Your body's job is to get me to safety, please. Mm-hmm. Get me out of here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think if we change the food or change the body, we'll accomplish that. But that's the red herring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And gosh, I can think of personal examples where my body wouldn't, didn't respond as maybe I would have thought. Mm-hmm. My, you know, lack of education at the time where say, periods of high stress, I tend not to feel hunger, which that's makes right. And that's normal. And that's totally normal. So, yeah. And yet no weight gets lost. Yeah. So that's not the goal either. Yeah. But, but one may think, oh, well, I would lose. No, body's not doing that either. A, bodies are more like thermostats. They are not car engines in and out. That's not, that's mm-hmm. eh, the first couple months maybe of under overeating that will initially happen. Then after that, the thermostats like, okay, look, our set point, our body wants to be in this range in this season of life developmentally for some very good reason. That's mm-hmm. God's business, not ours. Mm-hmm. And 
when you're under kind of different kinds of stress, fight, fight, freeze, or please, a body has to make that a priority. And what you look like ain't it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, we don't digest as well. Something's going to hibernation, not full on, like you're like a bear and not conscious, but um, yeah, the body wants you to survive. It's mm-hmm. more survivable to weigh more than the way less. Mm-hmm. It's more convenient to either evacuate yourself or not be able to go if a tiger's chasing you. Mm-hmm. So priorities of what is happening right now. The problem with trauma is that um, unless we get healing and this doesn't get better with time, the body is always perceiving that the bad stuff is still happening or it's mm-hmm. going to happen any second. And so it's 2023, this recording, but if you smell something that reminds you of 1985, Right. You'll go right back there and you'll eat just like that. You know, what am I doing? I haven't like, I haven't, I haven't been restricting or purging in like 20 years. And like, that's all I can think about. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe it's the time Mm -hmm. to like uproot the roots of this once and for all because your body remembers. Yeah. For anyone who's watching or listening and some of this is resonating with them, they're like, Ooh, yeah, like this, this, hits home. I can relate to some of this. What initial steps could they take towards some initial healing and redefining in their relationship with food? Again, being such an important area of life because we have to have it. There isn't, we can't permanently avoid our relationship with food. So yeah, what are some initial steps that they could take maybe even beginning at home on their own? Yeah. Yeah. Start to get some, um, so important to help yourself kind of get unblended from all of that. It's my fault. I made all this happen. Nobody chooses an eating disorder. Um, and before you know you're in it, um, by the time you know you're in it, it's too late. Now you're in it, basically. Mm-hmm. So um, there's some really good books. There's some good podcasts. Um, I'm actually going to share with you, Naomi, after we're done, kind of a, a longer list, but I'll just name a few things. Please do. Um, I don't personally have a podcast, but um, um, but some books that I do recommend to people um i made a little list here so life without ed by jenny schaefer it's a really good quick little actually kind of um with exercises memoir but it's one of the few memoirs it's not provocative it's not like triggering it's just like this is what ed said in my head today and learning mm-hmm. how to differentiate your you have a self you have an identity all this, and all this other stuff is um it thinks it's helping you and protecting you but it's not you all right. So that's a really good book for understanding that concept. Um, Jenny Schaefer is her name. There's a book called Breaking Free from Body Shame. Mm-hmm. And Jess Connolly. And again, um, I don't know these people personally, but um, it's a good one for like learning how to see the constant body reclamation projects. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what you, what, it basically just talks about your body's not a project. Your body's not your main source of trying to fix in your life. And then you've arrived, then you're saved, yeah. then you're okay. It's a really good book for that. Um, so let's see here. I would say from an education piece around um, generally the culture we live in, I think that we need to know our enemy mm-hmm. as we all talk about. And uh, um, there's a book called from, um, it's called Anti-Diet by Christy Harrison. So it mm-hmm. just talks about, hey, we're like 200 years in here. Of like, and I use these words because I've experienced it, like mind control programming mm-hmm. around food and weight. 
So everybody says the same things all the time to me. And when I when I hear them say, oh, I know what generation you're from. Because I, I hear that from that lady in Australia that I talked to two weeks ago. She was born the same year you were. And her family did the same diets that your family did. So this is not like isolated to you. Yeah. This is all over the industrialized world. This is this is an agenda to like make people disembodied mm-hmm. and not know how to take care of themselves. Somebody else has to tell you how to do it. So it's just about um, die culture and all the all the things, and so you can understand that like, hey, we don't hate people, um, but we have to understand that like everybody wants your mind. <laughs> Time t- to get your mind back. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then. Um, if people are, if there's people who like health, nutrition, facts, science, to help a little bit more on board with the whole, like, hey, all body, you know, God made bodies of all different shapes and sizes, and healthy behaviors don't necessarily mean you're going to be thin. There's a really good book called Big Fat Lies by Glenn Geiser. Why I like that book so much, like, he's got no agenda, you know, he's not like me. It's like, everybody should be free and eat from hunger and fullness and, you know, do a puzzle with your kid and not, not worry, you're good. Um, he was actually an extra science science guy who thinks like most people is like, well, you, you know, move more that makes you magically thinner. Um, but he was in I like the backstory of this so much. He was um, in this cardiovascular or cardiac um, rehab center with all these older folks who had had a heart attack and he was monitoring their health, you know, heart fitness back from the heart attack. And he started noticing like, wow. And I'm going to use his words like these, these big old ladies in here and these big old guys are cranking they're strong and then some of the people who are thinner body were more frail and they were less just fit and he was like my mind i have a dissonance happening i don't understand what's happening here and he's like maybe i'm wrong maybe that you you can't judge fitness by what people look like it's actually maybe just what they can do and so he went into like research like 10 years and wrote this book about like fitness not your weight Mm-hmm. Is what's going to make you um, respiratorily, cardiovascularly, just have better fit, you know, be strong. That's it. So when people say, I want to be strong, I want to be fit, like, but then they're describing a look. I'm like, well, fitness isn't a look. Mm-hmm. So that's for the people that need information. Um, but there's lots of good podcasts to start to listen to. So um, Intuitive Eating for Christian Women is a good podcast compared mm-hmm. to Who's a Good Podcast. Um, I got a list. I can give you all some more. Um yeah, please do. And I'll either we might fit them in the notes. We'll see if, if that no works. Problem. If not, no, we'll not have mine. no agenda. You know, it's just yeah. like oh, no, no. started. You know? Oh, no, you're good. I'm saying it for our audience, for anyone who's listening. If you look at the notes and you're like, wait, it's not there, send us an email. We'll have it as an okay. attachment, whatever you send over. We can forward it out. So, mm-hmm. yeah, anyone who's looking for that list, um, please let us know. That's great. And also, what about someone who's looking to seek professional support? What should they look for in someone, and then how can they reach out to you and your team? Well, yeah, so um, I, I, just, I have a couple of websites, so it's just tracybrownrd.com, and then I also have um, a website for people who um, you know, are looking for, it's kind of all the, honestly, it's all the same information, except on my Heal by the Word um, website, you know, just, it's geared more for people who want to include their faith into the recovery, but mm-hmm. I have separate things because I know that not every come, everybody comes from the same place, but we all still need this foundational, if I'm having food or weight obsession, like how do I get started and what do I do? You know, so like how it works. I, we like to teach people what the function of this is. And it's not your fault. 
and the efforts you've been trying to do to feel better are actually not working. Well, here's why they don't. And here's, here's another option. So that's that. But I think if you're really looking for somebody, and I think from the trauma-informed approach, you know, not, every, not everybody who works with eating disorders is honestly weight neutral or even fat friendly. So be looking for those kind of words. If you see a person that says like, oh, I treat eating disorders and obesity, personally, if it was my kid, I'd run. Great. If I'm being really honest, because you can't have your foot in both camps. Because the, if you're trying to make people smaller, that, pro, that there's a probability that um, if you're struggling with your body image or relationship with food in a bigger body, you've been struggling a long time. It's not mm-hmm. new news to you that people have been telling you since you were little that you lose weight, but you could be perfectly healthy. Mm-hmm. So, um, but look for, um, you know, counselors and dietitians that have a non-diet approach because we all, you know, have this mission to help people be their own nutrition experts. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, we don't want you relying on me to like help you know how to eat, what to do your whole life. That's, mm-hmm. that's not freedom. Yeah. I think a primary message that I'm hearing. And so I want to say it to see if you would agree that I'm hearing this correctly is that it's more about like you had mentioned, and we won't get into all the specifics, but generally eating that variety of foods, having that enjoyment of the warm cookie coming out of the oven, getting that variety, um, eating when you're hungry and letting your body land where it's going to land. That's right. Look That's like right. what it's going to look like. That's a hundred percent. The, the philosophy It's so uh, not, it's interesting. It's so not sexy. It's very not complicated, but yet mm-hmm. if you've been under or overfed, you've lost track of your signals. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know how to do it. So a lot of our work is reteaching people how to feed themselves. It's not like mm-hmm. eat more fiber here. And sometimes we do some of that if people need it, but most people come to us, they know way more about nutrition than they need to, that would ever be useful to be honest. And most of it's not, you know, again, it's, it's not um, big picture nutrition, wherever they're getting their information from anyway. So sometimes we're correcting some of that, but then most of the time it's like, how do you arrive at a meal feeling safe enough to hear your signals mm-hmm. and to know what you want and need? How can we help you feel safer going into that store to be able to reach for what you need? Mm-hmm. How can we help you be able to, t- to grab and take in what you need and be satisfied? And do it all over again. And that makes it a lot less. Yeah, you don't need your your brain so much trying to figure everything out, which is a trauma response. It's hypervigilance. Right. You know, that in itself, if you're mm-hmm. stressing about your food all the time, all I hear is fear. Mm-hmm. There's no peace. There's no peace. So, you know, so yeah. that's what we teach. And that's where that's the kind of people you should be looking for to help you. And from a trauma perspective, uh, I'll just say really briefly. Um once I learned about the physiology of trauma about 12 years ago, I never went back. You can never unknow what you know. True. Yeah. And you can't talk somebody into like eating enough or not binging. This is more about what's happening before you even have those behaviors, because that will inform how you're trying to help yourself feel safe. Mm-hmm. It's not real safety. We call it faux safety, but it's right. definitely safe, safety, you know, because there haven't been thousands of experiences with your environment, with yourself, where you know inside what you're taking in won't hurt you. Mm -hmm. And we have to practice that, you know, in session with your food, with other people um, to to reclaim that with food. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember as a 
final comment from myself, I remember telling myself that, you know, that was the best I knew at the time. And that's, that's what I knew to do. And so I'm going to be kind to myself in that. And thankfully I know other things now and I knew other things soon Mm -hmm. after actually even wrote that, which I'm so thankful for. And it served me in a way. What I then wanted to transition to was something that would serve me without hurting me in a different way. That's right. And that's what I talk to people about outside of food specific, but trauma in general is we have these, these forms of support that are supporting us in some form. But if they're also hurting us in a different form, then maybe we can trade them out for something different. That's right. That will only, only be healing and not also be harmful. That's exactly what we do as well. Is like you have these defensive strategies and they weren't meant initially to cause you harm, but that's ended up being the consequence and the result because they're maladaptive and they don't match and they're not sustainable, especially as adults. They may work as kids, but they definitely don't work in adult life. Um, yeah. We want to provide, help people discover resources that only help no harm, no, no negative consequences. Yeah. Tracy, any final words of encouragement for anyone who's listening or watching and they are someone who is struggling with their mm-hmm. relationship with food in conjunction with their trauma experience? Absolutely. I, I hope just people can give themselves some compassion, some mercy, some grace that, um, again, you didn't choose this, this short eating, chronic diet, and you were only doing, like Naomi said, like you're only doing the best you could in the circumstances you were in and in the environment you were in. Something was too much or not enough. And the good news is that um, trauma gets healed, eating disorders get healed. You can live in this very, very diet-centric um, external centric world and not be triggered by it you can but we have to work with some felt sense of safety that's the good news our we can all the stuff we learned was learned so we can unlearn it and cultivate some new new ways of seeing the world yourself um yeah they're joyful and peaceful so i don't have much more to say than that it's just possible it's i always tell people to it's work kind of maintaining an eating disorder mm. so it's, it is going to be work on mm. obviously the front end to have the freedom but after that you're done